People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Dora and I are really excited about today's guest on Health Gig. Her name is Kathy Richards, and she's an exercise physiologist with more than 20 years experience as a wellness coach, a strategist, and speaker. Having worked with college students, corporate executives, busy moms, and older adults, Kathy's unique, never too early, never too late approach to lifelong vitality capitalizes on the connections between these exciting stages of life. We've really enjoyed reading Kathy's book, Boom, Six Steps to a Longer, Healthier Life, and look forward to talking to Kathy about this book and these steps on Health Gig today. So Kathy, welcome to Health Gig. Trisha and I are so happy you're with us today. I'm thrilled to be here. Good. Well, we're so excited to have you on to talk about your book that's called Boom. It talks about a strong body and sharp brain and energy, and you have these wonderful steps to help people live longer and healthier. So let's begin, first of all, by telling us a little bit about you and what you do in your life now, and then we're going to dive into your book. I am a lifelong resident of Montgomery County here in Maryland, and I have worked in the area of health promotion and wellness since my college days. I went to the University of Maryland. Again, I'm local through and through. And when I got out of college, my undergraduate degree was kinesiology, which people couldn't pronounce, much less know what it meant. So I went straight on to grad school in exercise physiology and worked at Marriott part-time in the fitness center at their corporate headquarters. And it kind of led to a whole career in corporate wellness. And that's how I got my start in this industry. And then it kind of took some turns like everybody's does. And I ended up in senior wellness working at a large continuing care retirement community where the average age was 85. So that was pretty interesting being the director of wellness with over 1,485 year olds day in and day out compared to the director of wellness for a corporate age population. And that's how my book was born. Mm. Basically, your book is The Magic Pill is Exercise Uh huh. at any age, right? Absolutely. Take us through the steps. Like, What's the first step in living longer and healthier? The first step is your mindset. And I always start with that because so many of us get tripped up by mindsets that tell us all or none is the biggest one. We think that if we're not going to change into exercise clothes, go to a gym, exercise for an hour and come home that we might as well not bother. Most people don't have time for that or interest in that. So one of my primary messages is that there are meaningful benefits, really significant benefits from even modest investments of time. And until we can really say, oh yeah, man, that really does make a difference, then we're always going to be like, "Uh, I don't really have time or interest for what works. People exercise because they want to lose weight, but then you get to a certain age where it's really not about that. So what are the benefits? The benefits are so vast. I could list them out. Once I got to 68 without even (laughs) stopping, without even picking up any reference sources. So the benefits include decreasing our risk of all kinds of diseases, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, dementia, It improves how we recover from surgery. It improves our circulation, improves our sleep, improves our brain health. It improves just everything, 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 how our joints function, our mobility. As you mentioned, as we age, 
one of the things that changes is it is no longer about weight loss. It's more about, hey, can I reach that thing on the high shelf? Hey, can I get on the floor to play with a dog or a kid? Can I still get to my mailbox? Can I still, believe it or not, get off the toilet? There are all kinds of things that we can gain from staying strong as we age. What actually happens in the body then? Is it a matter of building muscle or keeping muscle? Is that the intention of it or what happens? Or is it oxygen that's coming through? What is it that makes all this magic happen? Well, the muscles are the primary thing. There's a lot. It has to do with the heart and your circulation and your lungs and keeping your ligaments strong and just everything. But the muscles are really the most important. That's because one of the shocking statistics that I like to share, because statistics sometimes stick in our head and it motivates us to act. And that's that the average American between the ages of 20 and 80 loses 50% of their leg strength. And that's just ghastly number when you really think about that most of us stay approximately the same body size or more. <laughs> we gain weight as we age, most of us do. And if in that span, we're also losing half our muscle mass, it's really like we're walking around with double our body weight if we consider what our current leg strength is. And so it becomes hard to even get out of a chair. When you notice needing to push off with your hands to get out of a chair, you know you've lost muscle mass that is going to impact your daily life. And the good news is that that's not because of the physiological aging process. We lose most of our muscle mass because of the gradual inactivity that typically comes with aging, not because the muscles themselves start to shrink all by themselves. That's so true. But sometimes injuries and all those kinds of stuff, I guess, as you get a little bit older, then kind of make you sort of sit a little bit more. And what you're saying is find ways to always move. Like our body needs to move. I mean, that's sort of your message in your book, right? It absolutely is a message. And you're right. The, the challenges just crop up year after year and injuries is one of them. Another thing might be menopause. Women start having changes in their body and their hormones and how they feel. And there's all kinds of barriers and challenges. And what happens is they kind of get us beaten down and thinking, I might as well just not bother when we really need to, as you said, Trisha, find a way, some small amount that still works for us because those injuries we're going to have them really whether we exercise or not is what's going to happen as we age. And the, the difference is, are they going to be the ones that you're going to bounce back from? For instance, working in senior living, I worked with physical therapists who felt like there were some older adults who was like a revolving door in and out of PT, in and out of PT. Unless you really follow up your PT exercises with exercise you're going to continue doing when you're out of PT, you will end up right back in there. It's consistency too, right? It is consistency from two points of view. Number one, the human body is not going to adapt to anything that's not required of it very often. Our body isn't stupid. It's not going to make the adaptations needed unless it knows, hey, she's going to probably ask that of me again sometime soon. And then the other thing is mentally, the consistency keeps us on track. That's where when you tell yourself, I can't do my normal routine, but I'll still do five minutes or I'll still do 10 minutes because anyone who's ever had an exercise routine that they were really consistent with and then suddenly got out of it for some reason knows just how hard it is to get back to it. If you never let yourself be totally off it, then you never have to get back to it and you're better off. How does variety play in exercise? For example, let's say you love to spin, cycle. I mean, it feels great for you to do that every day, but as you age, is it important to change your exercise up? 
It is really valuable to change things up. There are some modes of exercise that are more strenuous or more challenging on the joints than others. And if you are, for instance, a runner, it wouldn't be great to run every day, especially as we age, because our joints going to take a beating. And that's where the term cross training comes in, or just mixing up your modes of exercise so that you're not stressing the same joints and the same muscles in the same ways day in and day out. There are some things that we can do practically every day, something like walking. Sometimes there's some abdominal work. It's okay to exercise, and I use that air quotes, to do something active almost every day, but we don't want to do the overly strenuous things that put a lot of pressure on our joints day in and day out. We do get more benefits when we mix things up because that way we're not also only getting the benefits of spinning. We're working different muscles in different ways. But when people ask me, must I mix it up? I always say, unless it's one of those things like running, that's not good to do every day, just do what you love. And you're way better off doing the same boring thing day in and day out than not exercising at all. So I wouldn't let that be an excuse to say, oh, since I'm not going to mix it up, I might as well not exercise. Well, that's true. Mm -hmm. But what about weekend warriors? People who, you know, they're working all week and they might be older, then they go out and do wildly play pickleball (laughs) or something and then end up with some kind of injury. True. You hit the nail on the head there. The weekend warriors are the ones with the most injuries because they have these five days with no activity and suddenly they're doing something overly strenuous, really high intensity. And when you're involved in something that's more like a sport than just exercise, for instance, a pickup game of football, we hear stories that emergency rooms are full of pulled hamstrings on Thanksgiving morning because these are people who are suddenly sprinting because this is their tradition to have a Thanksgiving touch football game. They're sprinting like a really fast paced something that could really rip a muscle and they're doing it once a year. It applies probably to exercises you've never tried before. (laughs) And then go at the exercise full gusto. Reminds me when we were down in the Bahamas and Bobby went water skiing (laughs) and he'd never water skied before. And he immediately pulled his hamstring. You know, he was young. So I guess my point is, does that apply? I mean, I think it does apply to things you've never tried. It does. It really does. And some things are riskier than others. But when we do something we haven't done before, your body will tell you the next day. It might not be as severe as a pulled hamstring, but you'll typically be sore because you surprised your body. How important is stretching and how do you incorporate stretching into your life? Well, stretching is really important and it becomes even more important as we age. It's more important for some people versus others. And it's important for the people who are the ones who do it the least, because there are some of us who knew in second grade, whether we were flexible or not. I mean, everybody is out on the playground and some people are bending over and putting their hands on the ground and other people are saying, are you kidding me? I could never do that. And so we have this genetic component of flexibility and the people who are more genetically flexible tend to seek out yoga and seek out stretching because it feels good and they feel successful. Those of us who are less flexible avoid stretching and we need it the most. As we age, in order to maintain our mobility and maintain the ability to go through a full range of motion, both comfortably and with a reduced risk of injury, it really is important to add stretching to our routine. That's so funny you say that because Trisha, you are so flexible. I'm so flexible. (laughs) And then I'm the person you're talking about that is not and that really needs it. But the person that's really flexible, that's you, Tricia. Yes, yes. How do they stretch their muscles? 
they stretch in the same way. They usually can just go farther than the rest of us. <laughs> Maybe they become contortionists or something. <laughs> some do. Some but do. also, isn't it sort of the balance of that for people that are flexible and also maintaining muscle, right? Like the strength yes. training. I always recommend strength training for every darn person. I feel like a one woman PR firm for strength training, just because it doesn't get the respect or the visibility that I think it really needs as far as how many benefits it has for people who don't think of themselves as someone who would normally do strength training, especially women and women as we age. But I guess strength training too is in yoga. I mean, you're using your own body weight. It's just allowing yourself to get some sort of, what would you call it? Like it's not lifting, but resistance training, or is that what it is? There are some forms of yoga that include strength moves for sure. And a lot of those are isometric contractions versus dynamic contraction, which is when you're lifting weights, you're quite often making the muscle change in length while it's contracting, whereas yoga might be more isometrics. And there might be some dynamic movements as well. It's typically a lower percentage of time spent in a yoga class that's strength-based versus flexibility-based, but it's still, it's wonderful but you typically see those as sometimes the more advanced yoga classes. A lot of yoga is more stretching. And that's just one example of flexibility and one example of strength training. There are different ways you can approach both of those kinds of exercise. Let's go back. What's the second step? Ah, well, the first step was the mindset. And in my book, in my theme, the second step is exercise is the magic pill. It's okay. really taking that to heart that, wow, I can't afford not to. And that this is available to me free and with no side effects. That's the most amazing part about the magic pill part. And that's why I call it a magic pill because we as a society lean so heavily on medications. How many people do you know aren't on any medications? And yet exercise has more benefits than any of those medications in more far-reaching areas of our life. And then step three then. Step three is the boom fitness framework. So first it has two tracks. It has a track called Never Too Early and a track called Never Too Late. And so that speaks to the whole philosophy that no matter what age you are, start now. If you are a little bit on the younger side or on the more mobile side and you don't have any health risks, there's a whole range of things you can do from the very minimal to the maximal based on your level of interest. And then if you fall into the never too late category, according to the kind of way I describe it, maybe you're someone who needs more gentle exercise because you're either older or you have injuries or other reasons why exercise needs to be gentle. But once again, you still might have either a low level of interest or a high level of interest. Whether you're never too early or never too late, you can start with level one, which is just move. You don't want to have anything really overly lengthy, or you don't want to do anything on purpose necessarily besides just move more. And then I have level two, which is somebody who might want to do something a little bit more on purpose, but doesn't want to have any equipment, doesn't want to go anywhere, and just might want to do one exercise for their upper body, one for their midsection, and one for their lower body, and plus a tiny bit of cardio. Someone might say, hmm, that's an amount I can commit to. And then we go to level three which is doing more like 10 or 12 exercises. So you're doing strain training for every major muscle group, but it's still short and quick and some cardio. And then level four are people who like fitness like a hobby. But what happens is I get questions all the time that would only matter if you're a level four mindset. And these are level one, two, or three people who want to know, 
Is it better to exercise in the morning or evening? You know, they have all these other specific questions that really don't make much of a difference until you're doing a whole lot. And it's so nice to have the options. Like you said, it's just so Mm -hmm. nice to have a plan and implement the plan. That's amazing. And the next chapter is all about fueling up and balancing the scale. Can you talk about that? Well, we can't talk about fitness without talking about the eating side of things and the weight loss side of things because so many of us have those goals. My start for that is thinking of food as fuel, that we need to fuel our body versus what should I not eat? It's not supposed to be about deprivation. It's supposed to be about what are the good foods. So I use the phrase of superfoods. It's my little subjective list, just my opinion from the different sources that I have of some of the foods that fuel us the best and give us less opportunity to eat some of the less virtuous foods. And then our strategies around metabolism, if we do have goals to lose weight, because most of us have these struggles as we age, especially to make sure that we're not either losing weight or some of us just want to stop gaining weight. Some of us just tend to put on a few pounds with every passing year. And we're like, oh, I don't want to keep going up. You can exercise, exercise, exercise. But if you're eating not to support your body, it does sort of defeat the purpose. So they kind of do go hand in hand. They do go hand in hand. And there's a phrase that goes, you can't out-exercise a bad diet. Right. So, so many of us think, oh, I worked out so I can have this. Well, gosh, darn it, those calories that you eat, they just add up so quick. That's why one of my biggest tips and the fueling up chapter and component is to track your food. Not everybody's going to want to track it forever, but if you've never tracked your food and there's so many free apps that you can use for it these days, if you even track your food for three days, your eyeballs will burst wide open and you'll be like, oh my goodness, I had no idea that's how what I was eating was stacking up. And you will make changes just based on that. So as you age, there's the BMI, which tells you at this age, you should be this weight. How do you feel about that? And how do we determine if even though we're healthy and we're strong and we do the exercise and the weights, how do you determine how much you should weigh and what's out there in the BMI? Is that accurate? Well, BMI stands for body mass index, and that is a marker of a healthy body weight that came out because the old-fashioned height and weight charts used to be too restrictive. But the interesting thing is, is that BMI is really just calculated based on height and weight, and it does allow for a little bit more body weight as we age, just a little bit. And it also has a wider range for every little tick along the chart based on your height. And so there is a range of low versus high is still in the acceptable range. And then we can have a BMI that's a little too low, which means we probably have too little weight for our size. And then there is a BMI that's too high. And the thing about whether or not your BMI is healthy for you, one of the things it's nice to decide that with your physician, because it does matter how much of your body weight is fat. And so one of the things that we use in the fitness industry that gives a little more value to how you figure that out is a measurement called percent body fat fat. So there are ways a fitness professional can measure on you, your estimated percent body fat so that you know, okay, of my body weight, whatever it is, what percent is muscle versus fat. Now, if you're somewhere around the average weight ish or average muscle mass ish, I'm going to use that word ish, BMI is typically accurate for you about knowing if I'm in the kind of average ish versus a little high. But if someone has a really high amount of muscle mass, for instance, there are a lot of athletes whose BMI come out high and it looks like they're overweight and unhealthy as far as what their BMI number would be. But in fact, their body weight is higher than normal because it's all muscle. 
I don't think there's very many of us who are saying it's all muscle on me. I just know it. (laughs) Most of us know that if if our BMI is stacking up to be in the above average category, then we know "Uh, I probably should lose a few. And then it's unfortunately, it's not hard to get it to bump over into that technically obese word in BMI, which is having a BMI of over 30 is not hard to get over 30 in your BMI for some of us. And so it can feel a little disheartening with those numbers. So we want to just not take them too much to heart. There are changes we can make to try to get that number down. Everyone's different and they're built differently. So maybe not taking that standard too much to heart because God made us all each very individual. Absolutely. One of the things I wanted to revisit real quick when I was talking about the Boom Fitness Framework and that you can go level one all the way to level four is the levels are designed for you to turn the dial up or turn the dial down based on the day, the week, the month, the phase of life so that you don't ever have to feel like I'm just not exercising at all. So you don't have to say, oh, I'm a level two person and that's it. You might have a really busy phase of life coming up, or you might have a time where you're more motivated. So we all should really be thinking again about how we can maintain whatever amount of movement makes sense for us now, as long as it's not nothing. (laughs) And then it can go up and go down as our needs and as our interest level changes. The message of we can't afford not to and the message of it doesn't have to be all or none and we can get good benefits from small investments of time is really the most important thing. When you think about what else, how would we layer it on with this is that there are a couple extra things that are benefits that we might not always link to exercise and that's brain fitness. Mm. So many of us are concerned about our brain health as we age with good reason. The research tells us that the best way to protect our brain is not through brain games, although they can help. Guess what the best thing is for our brain? Is exercise. Uh Uh-huh. It's physical (laughs) exercise. Can you believe it? Of course, the magic pill strikes again. As long as we're staying active and we can help our brain as well, we can also reduce our risk of falls. That's another thing that we are worried about as we age because the statistics for falls are really high with every passing year as we age. So we might be concerned about balance. Most older adults know they need to work on their balance and there are certainly valuable balance exercises you can do, but the biggest predictor of balance is leg strength. So we come back to strength training again. And I have women clients well into their 60s, 70s, and 80s who I have doing strength training exercises. I've even had clients in their 90s who I had doing strength training exercises it's never too late. That's part of the never too late thing is that you can start at the age of 85 or 90 on a strength training routine and you can see your muscles grow. They still have the same capacity to respond to exercise. That's such a good message to end on. I mean, it's so true. It's like what you say, never too late. Just start moving and maybe do a little resistance training. And also, when you talk about it too, it's it's a socialization as well. People talk about how you exercise with your friends and being with people. And in today's world, it's a gift. It is a gift. And in my book, when I talk about the very ending is that we are called to do this as community. We're called to share this information with our families in our generations older and younger than us. And so a lot of us, when we think about approaching this as a family, we want to set a good example for those younger than us. And we want to assist those that are older than us. And so when we start changing our habits and we include those that are around us, 
we're all going to be more successful with it. When I started combining my messages from corporate wellness and senior wellness, I still do a lot of professional speaking with corporate age population. And I ask them every presentation I do, I ask what type of 85 year old do you want to be? And I get some great answers and some crazy (laughs) answers. And then I always follow it up with because you're working on it right now. Yeah. Yeah. What you do today really matters. It does matter. Well, we think everyone should buy Boom and learn how to live a long, healthy life and get exercising right away. Yes. Kathy, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I've been having a great time talking to both of you. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well. To learn more on how to live a co-mindfulness life, visit comindfulnessproject.com.